Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartlidgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Jesus, Lord, I just hand this sermon to you now, Lord. Just do with it as you will. Um, Lord, I've left it wide open for you to speak to us through the words that I'm going to be reading from Scripture. So have something for us now, Lord Jesus. And uh, I just put myself in uh, and trust myself and my words to you right now. And Lord, I just pray that everyone's hearts here will receive and give us all discerning spirits to discern the truth and uh, not to um, receive any kind of deception. So give us discernment. Lord, make us Bereans, make us go home after this service and study the word to make sure that what was taught was correct uh, according to Scripture. In the name of Jesus, amen. Turn to Revelation 1.7. Now keep your Bibles open because we're going to be moving around a fair bit today. This is part B of... Last week's sermon, which was the second coming of Jesus Christ. There are that many scriptures that relate to the second coming of Jesus Christ throughout the New Testament and throughout the Old. I'm going to be drawing on as uh, quite a few of them. Um, and it's important because that is our hope, isn't it? Is that our hope? That Jesus Christ is going to return. And so really, it should be a sermon that gets preached quite regularly. We should be hearing about the second coming because to Jesus it was a big deal. To the disciples, it was a big deal. It's been a big deal to every single Christian, um, or not every single Christian, but most Christians throughout all generations to the present day since Christ left. Every generation have thought that Jesus was going to return within their lifetime. Um, now, we think Jesus is going to return in our lifetime, don't we? And he very well could. But we may be 20 years, 30 years, 40 years out, who knows? But the signs of the times are pretty evident as we all watch, you know, nightly news. It's, you know, more and more we see it. And there's a lot of people exposing a lot of things that are taking place in the world. Or not exposing in the sense of um, exposing corruption, but it's exposing uh, that the times that the Bible speaks about are clearly evident in things taking place on earth. They're revealing it. So let's take a look at Revelation 1.7. And it says, look... He is coming with the clouds. He is coming with the clouds. Who takes that literally? Me. <laughs> if he says he's coming with the clouds, and many passages of Scripture says clouds, he's not coming with the flying saucers, he's coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Every eye will see him. So it's going to be a magnificent time. It's not, it doesn't say <clears throat> it's going to take place secretly, does it? Let's say there's a secret. He's coming and there's no, no one will see him, only those that are looking for him, you know what I mean, or the church. It says every eye. So when Jesus comes, the second coming, it's going to be a major universal event. It's going to be a spectacle to the entire universe because every eye does not mean just human eye. It means every eye in the universe. 
is going to see this spectacle. It's going to be a magnificent moment. Every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, which is, as I spoke about last week, you and me. Did we pierce Jesus? Our sins pierced Jesus. Jesus died for our sins. He was pierced for our transgressions. We pierced Jesus. Every single human soul, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. All the peoples of the earth. doesn't say the bride of Christ will mourn. We're going to rejoice. It does actually say that the bride will rejoice at the coming of Jesus Christ. But those who've rejected him are going to mourn. And you can understand why. Because they'll be saying, you know, I I knew that Christian crackpot, that mate of mine who's a loony tune. I've been rejecting everything he said my whole life. And he's been telling me if I reject him long enough, I'm going to go to hell. And there he is. What does that mean? I'm going to hell. Because suddenly it will dawn on them that the Bible's true. It will dawn on them that everything crazy Christians have been saying for 2,000 years is true because there's the Messiah. And he's going to have a herald going before him. Before Jesus comes, there's going to be angels preaching the gospel all over the earth. We'll get to those scriptures. And what do you think those angels are going to say? They're going to say, turn to Jesus or you're going to die for eternity. Turn to Jesus, the only hope. There is no other name given under men. So as the scripture, Acts 4.12, I think it was. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given unto men by which we must be saved. Buddha will not save you. Muhammad will not save you. Only Jesus Christ. There's no other name. Only Jesus Christ. Amen? And isn't it good to know that we know this? I've studied many of the world's religions. Who's, who's listened to some of my Uncovering Religion podcasts? If you have, I have. So Now, I, I went through all the religions of the world, or all the major ones, and I found that there's no hope of salvation in any of those religions. Cows won't save the Hindu. Cows will give them milk, but cows won't save them. There's no salvation in Hinduism. It's a mystical religion. It's not evidence-based. We have an evidence-based religion. We have a religion that science verifies, even though the atheist science will deny it. Science, we are finding more and more, verifies our faith. So faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain. Why do we get certainty? Because if you study science through these, there's certain scientists around the planet that are just bringing to light the most magnificent discoveries. Who knows what I'm talking about is true. If you look at those things, if you listen to guys like John Lennox and William Lane Craig and an array of others, your faith is going to soar because you're going to have evidence for what you believe. It's not a fairy tale, guys. So faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him, and so shall it be. Amen. Okay, turn to Mark 13, 26. I've got a goal today to get up to a certain point in this sermon. I'm hoping I can... If Dave can do it, I can do it. (laughs) Yeah, bring the egg timer up here. 13, 26. Now I'm going to... I'll speak what the Holy Spirit prompts me to say, but I'll try not to go on too long because there's a few scriptures I want to get to to get to a certain point which I think is really essential for us to read. 
Now, at that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. There it is again. He's coming in the clouds. So he must mean literally clouds. Be an awesome cloud. Can't wait to see those clouds. With great power and glory. You could imagine when it says great power, it doesn't mean just power. It doesn't mean here comes a really awesome looking God. It would be like God's coming on a cloud. Jesus Christ is coming on a cloud and it would, the impact of that would be flattening people to the ground and you would be feeling like you're crushed under the weight of the awesomeness of God who is coming. Now, I couldn't imagine what would happen. Hills being torn apart as he's flying along, you know, just the earth cracking underneath him, fire coming out from him. It'll be a spectacle beyond imagination. You know, I don't think Hollywood could even capture it. But it would be, it's going to be an awesome time. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and great glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect. Now, it's, when it says at that time, it's talking about the time that they're talking about there is after the tribulation has completed. The com- tribulation has been completed, and then he says uh, at that time, that's when he's coming, he'll send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. So he'll gather it up. It'll be the rapture. He'll gather up his people at that time, at the second coming. And the timing is very, very clear in Scripture. I don't know why there's so much confusion. Mark fourteen sixty one. Just a little bit forward. Fourteen sixty one. But Jesus is that right? No, that's Yeah, yeah. But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. And again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said this, I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Where's he going to be? Sitting at the side. And he said to, I think that was Pilate. Was that Pilate? I should have, the high priest. He's telling the high priest, you're going to see me there. You, personally. You will see me sitting at the right hand. Because every eye will see. And the judgment, everyone will be gazing upon the glory of God. Luke 9.26. This, this is one for the Christian If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. Have you ever, now I want everyone to be honest here, have any of you ever felt a little bit of shame when someone asks you about your Christianity or said, do you believe in Jesus or are you one of those Christians? Has anyone ever felt like, oh, I don't, I don't want to answer that question, and just that little bit? Or am I the only one alone here in this? Right? I'll be honest. There's been times where I'm like, don't bring up Jesus now, you know. <laughs> not of late. I can, I'm glad it's not of late in, in recent years. But there's, I've been a Christian for 25, 26 years, and I'm sure everyone's felt that somewhere along the lines. So... Just remember Jesus' words. If you're ashamed of him in this wicked and adulterous generation, the only reason you're, you're feeling ashamed is because these people are so wicked and they make you feel bad because you believe in Jesus Christ. So don't be ashamed. Be proud to be Christian. 
Be proud of your Lord. Because he laid it all down for us. He's, he, he, he suffered terribly. They spat at him. They humiliated him. They stripped him naked. They beat him senseless. They teased him. They said, prophesy. You know, if you're, and then while he was on the cross, you know, always oh, calling on Elijah. Let's see if Elijah comes and saves him and all this sort of garbage. You know, they were, they mocked him, humiliated him. And all we, you know, we get a little bit, you know, embarrassed because someone mentions Jesus, you know, not all the time. How often have you felt very proud to be Christian? Yeah. Many times you've spoken out the word and you feel confident in it. And even if people don't agree with you, you don't care. You're not ashamed of Jesus. All right? So keep that attitude because you want Jesus when he comes here not to be ashamed of you, but to glory in you and the way you've lived your Christian life. Luke seventeen twenty eight. Now it says, It was the same in the days of Lot. We've all read the scripture as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. That's regularly quoted, isn't it? But it also says it was the same in the days of Lot. What happened in the days of Lot? Yeah, it was... Homosexuality was, was rife and um, they were just a corrupt people. And uh, are we seeing that happening? Has the homosexual agenda, just in a few years, they've got to the point where they're legalizing homosexual marriage? Yeah, yeah. So as it was in the days of Lot, there's another sign. As the nations embrace that, they're embracing their condemnation. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. Gee, that sounds like us, doesn't it? It sounds like the nations of the earth. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. And it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Who knows that, that when Jesus returns, he's going to burn this planet up. It's going to burn up. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. And likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you... On that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding corn together. One will be taken and the other left. It's going to be a sad time. You could be standing with your best friend. You're taken. They're left. Luke 21. These are really uh, archaic ways of gathering food. One will be... On that night, two people, uh, two people will be grinding corn together. Does any of us grind corn? No, not to get... Well, we don't even grind corn anymore, do we? You know, we, we buy corn already done for us. But that's telling us that there will be people on that planet at that time. They'll no longer be buying from shops. Because if you imagine a tribulation of the, the immensity of what the Bible's talking about, I don't think supermarkets will be open <laughs> during that time. We'll be grinding at a handmill <laughs> to get some food, you know, grinding some wheat to get some flour, you know. All right, Luke 21, just a, a couple of chapters forward, Luke 21, 25, and it says, There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. On the earth, nations will be in 
uh, anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming upon the world. It's a scary time. Take those words to heart, guys. Read the words of the Lord, but apply them into imagining yourself in that scenario. People, and Jesus tells, the, tells us that, that nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint, faint. Men, strong men, fainting from terror, apprehensive of what is coming upon the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. When these things are taking place, begin to take place, our redemption, our, our Jesus coming to collect us, collect his bride, is drawing near. It's not right then, but it's drawing near. We have to go through tr- very, very troubling times before the return of the Lord. Are there nations on earth going through very troubling times right now? The Christians of many nations right now going through terribly, terribly troubling times. Did the Jews uh, under, under Hitler go through troubling times? Yeah? Have the Chinese Christians gone through very, very troubling times over the century, over the, in the last century or two? You know, the tribulation has occurred, and to many of them, it could have well been the Great Tribulation. It just as well could have been. Because many of them didn't survive it, and if they did survive it, you know, they had gone through terrible, terrible times. So we don't know when it's going to happen, but we know it's going to be troubling. Luke 18, verse 8, and this is an interesting one. It's for, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, this is a question, will he find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What is your heart? How does your heart answer? Yes, he's going to find faith on the earth. I don't think he asked that question for us to be able to answer it prophetically. I think he asked that to challenge us prophetically. How are you going to be when you have to go through these troubling times? Are you going to lose your faith or is your faith going to soar? Are you prepared for those times and are you going to weaken or are you going to stay strong and hold to the end. So that's what I believe that question is for, is to prompt us to prepare us for, you know, going through these times. John 14, let's turn there. John 14, verse 1 to 4. And this is a, a beautiful scripture. And it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, are many rooms or many mansions, some say, and in my father's house, if you're, that, that doesn't mean he's, it's an actual house, you know, with a chimney and all that sort of thing. It, what, it's, it's the house of God. That's like, you know, there's different houses of families, you know, there's the house of cartilage, you know, and we're a, a broad family, you know, there's, we've got, there's many of us around the country, but we're one house, and that's God. So when it says there's many, and the, I like the translation, I think it's in the King James, many mansions in the house of God, in the family of God. 
And uh, as we know, God is preparing that place for us so that when we get there, we have this beautiful place to go to. Um, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Who knows the way to the place where Jesus is? Who knows the way? Yeah? Could you name it? How to get there? Jesus Christ. What did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So when you die, you don't have to sort of hire a vehicle to take you to heaven. When you die, Jesus takes you. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Your soul just goes, boom, straight there. If you're a Christian, isn't that beautiful? So you know the way. It's just Jesus Christ. We don't have to figure it out. Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be, be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So we've got to repent, turn to God. Our sins will be wiped out. And we've got to continually repent and turn to the Lord. If we stray, we turn back to the Lord. We keep coming back to him. And that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything. As he promised long ago through the holy prophets. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything. It will be restored back to the way it should have been when Adam and Eve were first created. You know, paradise on earth. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 7 to 9. And it says, Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end. Listen to those words. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. He'll keep us blameless until he comes. If we keep seeking him, if we keep our eyes on him, if we you know, pour our life out to him, reading the scriptures in prayer, living the Christian life, following Jesus, put your hand up if you feel you follow Jesus with all your heart every day. My hand didn't go up. I follow Jesus as much as I can, but in myself, I don't feel I'm, I'm near where I should be. Who feels that? Yet we all could do with following Jesus better, couldn't we? Yeah? He's going to keep us blameless, but we've got, to, we've got to give him our life. We've got to focus on, you know, uh, handing everything over to him. You know, just for example, if your mind is thinking about something else other than Jesus right now, your heart's divided. You've got Jesus is part of your life, but there's something else you'd rather be doing. Who would rather be doing something than sitting right here right now? Put up your hand. Rather be home mowing the lawn or something? <laughs> I hate mowing the lawn. <laughs> right? That shows us where our hearts are. If you have 
if there's an inclination in you like, shut up, Robin, hurry up, finish the sermon, I want to go home. You know, I've got internet stuff to do. You know, it's where everyone tends to spend their time these days. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. He's going to bring to light. He's going to expose everything. We're going to see Satan for who he is when the Lord comes. We're going to see him and we're going to look at him and go, is that him? The one who deceived the nations, is that him? It's going to be quite mind-blowing to see him stripped naked in a sense and exposed. Judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the, till the Lord comes. See, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He'll bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. We're going to have our hearts exposed, guys. (laughs) So it's better now, I always think, better now, clean up your heart now before God. You know what I mean? Get clean before God now so you don't get to heaven, you get to judgment, and you're standing before the King of Kings and all his bride is before you, and then he exposes the depth of your heart. And the sort of Christian that you've been. And at that time, it's going to be before everyone. And the shame will be incredible if you've got some deep hidden stuff. So clean it up now. Just wash your heart in the precious blood of Jesus and say, Lord, clean me. Make me clean. Make me clean so I can stand before you on that day and rejoice that you're there. Not feel condemned in myself because I didn't, didn't live for you the way I should have. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. Who's keeping up? How's the girls keeping up with all the scripture page turning yet? Eleven twenty six. And this is in a, a famous Holy Communion passage that we've had read out many times in this church. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, what do we do? We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we remember the Lord's death until he comes. Now, once he comes, things are going to be changed. There's going to be a different order of things. I don't know whether we'll have to celebrate communion anymore. I'm not sure what it's going to be like. But we won't forget what he did, will we? We won't forget. But while we're in earth, why do we have to have communion regularly as a church? Why do you think? Well, it was commanded, but, you know, you can do things by command and have no heart, you know, heart for it. Help, help keep us under grace. It also, because we're forgetful people. <laughs> it's in remembrance. We're forgetful. We're so forgetful. We so quickly forget what Jesus did for us on the cross. And you know what? We so quickly f- lose appreciation for it. We even get bored of hearing about it. Who's been there? Am I the only one? I'm honest. I tell you the truth. I'm, I've been there. I've been bored during certain messages about Jesus you know, about the cross and all that. Forgive me, Lord. But you know what? We, we've, that's why I always try to spread it around the church, get as many of you to come in with a different angle and a different appreciation for what he did so that we can see another truth, another little gem in it. You know, let's milk it for everything because it is the most significant thing Jesus did on this planet. It was the most significant thing to Jesus as a creator to do. 
for us. So it's got to be the most important thing in our life. And like I always say, you don't realize how important what Jesus did for you on the cross until you're on your deathbed. When you're lying there and you're about to pass on from this life to the next life, is everyone going to die here? Put your hand up if you're going to die, if you think, unless Jesus returns, right? If Jesus returns sooner, we're all going to die, right? At that moment, when you're about to cross over, there will be nothing else filling your mind except Jesus Christ and what he did for you on that cross. It will be the most significant thing in your mind at that time, the most important thing. And let's not make it that we wait until then for it to really impact us. Let's make it the most significant thing to us now and every day. Amen? Okay, let's go to Philippians 3.20. And it says, but our citizenship is in heaven. We're not citizens of earth. We're citizens. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We eagerly await who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. There's the hope of the imperishable body that we will receive when he comes. He will transform us in the twinkling of an eye. In a moment, it's faster than a click. The twinkling of an eye is actually a little bit of light reflecting off your eyeball, it, and it's at the speed of light. So that's how quickly we're going to be transformed. People brought out of the graves... Wait for the Harley to pass. People brought out of the graves and uh, in the twinkling of an eye, that's how quick he's going to do it. That's why when people say, oh, God couldn't, you know, it took more than six days to create the universe and everything in it. I'm thinking, why did it take him longer than the twinkling of an eye? He could have done it in the twinkling of an eye, but I think he wanted to lay it out in a certain way for us to be able to, you know, get depth of understanding. So it's going to be an amazing time. Your body is just going to be transformed. If we're alive at the coming of the Lord, our body will be transformed so rapidly into this imperishable body. I love that. I can't wait for the imperishable body because I'm going to go up to the highest cliff, cliff and put it to the test. <laughs> I've always been scared of heights, but I've got an imperishable body, so here I come. <laughs> and I'm plummeting to my death, but there's no death in heaven. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> You know, who wants to do that with me? I know Dave does. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get in some plane, go up, like, higher than that astronaut guy that jumped out of the plane. You know, go as high as we can and leap. I can't wait. <laughs> Mary Poppins. All right, Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart. Hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. See, that's where our hearts have got to be set on. We've got to set our hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden. We've died. Our lives should be hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, that's he, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. How beautiful is that? So set your hearts on things above. Set your hearts on it. 
uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Let's just have a look at that. 15, uh, 20, and it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, through Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the first, first fruits. then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come. And when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed. Now I want you to really read this. Then the end will come. Go back to verse 24. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he, Jesus Christ, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. There's a clue about when this time is. For he has put everything under his feet. And now when it says that everything has been put under him, under Jesus, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. So when he has done this, then the Son of himself will be made subject to him. Did you catch that? Then the Son, Jesus Christ, will be made subject to God the Father, who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Now, there's some interesting points there, and I want to bring it, and I want to now read a, a passage of Scripture in Revelation, and it's a longer passage, but I'm going to sort of read it fairly pacey to get to the points. But you've got to hear it in context. Revelation 19. Who likes reading Scripture? Yeah? That's good. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> All right, here we go. 19.11, and it says... I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. Here comes the white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. Sounds like the vision that John had in, in uh, Revelation 1. And on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one but he himself knows. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God. It's like, who am I, isn't it? <laughs> who am I? So who is it? The, the last clue was the biggest one, the Word of God, so that's Jesus. The armies of heaven were following him, just as other scriptures say, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. This sword is going to strike down the nations of the earth. He'll rule them with an iron scepter because he's going to be a tough king. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. He treads it. On his robe and on his thigh he has his, this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in mid-air, this is the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God that it's about to talk about. Come gather together, this angel said to all the birds of the air, for a great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of, and kings and generals and mighty men and of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. So that's all those in the battle of Armageddon that are going to come against God. They're going to be a massive, they're going to be like sand on the seashore. And Jesus is going to slay them. 
And the birds of the air are going to eat their flesh and drink their blood. Then I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider. Here's the battle right now and his army. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. And with these signs he had deluded those who received the mark of the beast. Don't ever take the mark of the beast because you'll be counted as one of these. And worshipped his image. The two of them, that is the beast and the false prophet, were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. They're the first two to go into this lake. Because at this stage, uh, we, just, we hear right now there's a lake of burning sulfur, but there's also hell. Hell is in the belly of the earth. The false prophet and the beast are thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. They're the first two in there. Then there's going to be a thousand years. We'll just read a little bit more. Uh, the rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider of the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their, on their flesh. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. So he's now bound. He's placed down in the abyss for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him and kept him uh, from, to keep him from deceiving the nations so the nations can experience the thousand years of peace. Satan is locked up at that time. After that, he must be set free for a short time. So he has a very short time at the end of the thousand years and he does a very good job of deceiving the nations once more as we're going to find out. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for 1,000 years. So this is what's coming in the future. This is what I'm reading, and I want you to see it in the context the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Who's the rest of the dead? All those that had rebelled against Jesus. They were in hell for a thousand years while the saints and those that had survived, the, um, survived on earth up until that time. Now, I'm not going to go into the, the whole millennium thing, how there ends up being so many people born in that time and who, how did they get born and then they turn against Jesus. I'll do that another time when we get there. But blessed and holy are those who take part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. Now, when the thousand years were over, Satan was released from his prison and he will go out to deceive the nations. And go down to nine, they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people. The city he loves. But, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. So at the end of the thousand years, there's this one more battle. It's like another Armageddon. But this time God the Father vanquishes them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. No judgment necessary. He's already been judged. Just straight away picked up, thrown into the fire he goes. And he's there with the beast and the false prophet. And what does it say about this place? It they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Not a nice place. You don't want to go there. Then I saw a great right throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Here's the judgment. After the thousand years of peace. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books 
And this is where the dead came from. They came from the sea, gave up the dead that were in it, and the deaf and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades, this is, this, this is death. Remember the last enemy of Jesus to be destroyed is death. And it says here, then death and Hades was thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. And they're thrown in there. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Who wants their name written in the book of life? Yeah, me. Yeah, you do not want to have your name, well, not in there. <laughs> your name must be in there. Make it a morning prayer. Lord, please make sure my name stays there. <laughs> Keep my name in the book of life. Keep my name in the book of life. And work your life according to making sure it stays there. Now, I'm just reading a bit more because now what we've had, we've had the Battle of Armageddon um, and all the generals of the earth and everything destroyed. Then we had the thousand years of peace. Then Satan was let loose. He deceives the nations. They come. They attack uh, God's people. God uh, finishes them off. Uh, a, a great white throne judgment. Death is finally destroyed, and that's the last enemy of Jesus. And Jesus now has vanquished all his enemies. There are no enemies left. After the thousand years, then what does it say? Then I saw a new heaven. This is where Jesus becomes subject to him. Remember what I said before? Jesus becomes, well, I didn't say it, Paul said it. Jesus becomes subject to the Father because God put everything under his feet, but not that doesn't mean God himself is under his feet, that Jesus will become subject to the Father. And that is in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 25 to 28, if you want to check me out on that. Uh, so I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea, so no longer any seawater. It's all going to be fresh. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. Here it comes. From God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. See, at that time, there's only the Christians are left. There's only Christians left on earth. And now God the Father, we're going to see God the Father come out of heaven. Now, no man can see God and live, but we're going to have an imperishable body. <laughs> we're going to be able to see him and live. But it's a glorious time. It's the first coming of God the Father. This is a magnificent moment. Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. Wow. It says you, there's no need for a sun because God will be the light that shines and brightens everything. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So he created an entire new earth. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And I just want to read this last thing and then we'll, we'll finish. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this. See, Christians must overcome. We must become overcomers. You know, you don't want to be an undercomer. 
You don't want to call yourself a Christian, but be swept up with the things of the world and produce zero fruit for God because Jesus says you will know them by their fruit. We must be overcomers. And I will be his God and he'll be my son. And the last thing, but listen to who is thrown out, the cowardly, those that cower in, in the face of opposition for the name of Jesus. The unbelieving, if you, if you have doubts in your mind all the time, if you unbelieve all the time and don't really believe the faith you claim to have. The vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, comes from the word pharmakeia, which also means drug-taking. The idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur, and this is the second death. Okay, so don't be counted among them. Amen? All right, thank you, God. Lord, thank you for this sermon today, and I pray that everyone here received a lot from it, Lord, as we went uh, through so many scriptures. Um, I just pray that... uh, you help us to assimilate what, what I discussed today. Help us to uh, have received something from it that will help us to grow in our faith. Um, help us to see these times ahead and what lays ahead over the next few thousand years quite clearly uh, according to the word so that we can live a different life according to that. So that we'll change the way we think every day, the, the things that we do, the things that we say, and the way we behave. Help us to become true Christians before your Lord. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Just bless this congregation. Bless every single person here. May they have a wonderful week. Uh, Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Put your angels around them and protect them at all times, Lord Jesus, so that they can just grow stronger and stronger in you as they pursue you. And uh, so we hand this this time over to you now and let there be some wonderful fellowship as we we have a coffee and a cup of tea together. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series. Uncovering Religion, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, Apologetics 101, Critical Doctrine and End Times. Feel free to check them out.